brother. Okay, last week we entered into a new what if saga, posing the question, what if James hadn't lent Dumbledore the invisibility cloak? And this video will make more sense if you've seen last week's episode already, but here's a brief recap either way. The central premise is that Dumbledore informs us and Harry in King's Cross Station that he borrowed the cloak from James to examine it, believing it to be a Deathly Hallow, which turns out it totally is. Dumbledore expresses concern that it may have helped the Potters the night of Voldemort's attack, to which Harry says, The cloak wouldn't have helped them survive, though, Harry said quickly. Voldemort knew where my mom and dad were. The cloak couldn't have made them curse-proof. And this seems true enough, but then moments later, Dumbledore lobs some other interesting information at us. But the cloak I took out of vain curiosity, and so it could never have worked for me as it works for you, its true owner. This suggests that it's entirely possible that the cloak does do something different for its true owner, but if it's not to make them curse-proof and it already makes everybody else under the cloak invisible, then what could it be? Our answer is that the cloak's true owner, like Ignotus Peveril and his ability to evade death themselves beneath it, make you completely unfindable. And so if Harry was hidden beneath the cloak when Voldemort attacked, either by James's intentions, or even if James had already been killed and the cloak had already passed to baby Harry and he himself was its true owner, then no matter what, Voldemort would never be able to find Harry inside of the Potter's home in Godric's Hollow. James and Lily still suffer their usual fate. James is unarmed and immediately killed. Lily has enough time to hide Harry under the cloak, but still sacrifices herself unwilling to reveal his hidden location. This means Voldemort never never fails in his attempt to kill baby Harry, but also never falls from power either. And knowing that he won't have a proper chance to attack Harry until he enters the wizarding world when he goes to school 10 years later, Voldemort is forced to create a false calm and attempts to attack Harry in his first year by way of the diary and the Chamber of Secrets. Harry, as ever, proves his true Gryffindor nature and summons the sword of Gryffindor and defeats the Basilisk, but is still otherwise unmarked. That is until the year before Harry's fourth year, where he is once again flushed into the open by way of attending the Quidditch World Cup, where as per always, Barty Crouch Jr. steals Harry's wand during the match. Death Eaters also have a presence, but this time it's less for show and more for real. Harry, Ron, and Hermione are once again flushed into the forest, where instead of discovering Winky the house elf, it's Voldemort. He raises his wand, Harry reaches for his, only to discover it's not there. He's unarmed. Voldemort screeches Avada Kedavra into the night. Lily's sacrificial protection from 13 years prior finally activates. Voldemort is blasted into mist, and Harry is left alive with an intricate lightning scar across his chest, where the curse is. Okay, so following the Quidditch World Cup, Harry suddenly finds himself the boy who lived, the boy who took down Lord Voldemort. And while a certain amount of that would have been present before since Voldemort appeared to disappear after attacking Harry's parents, but now there's much more public display of his defeat. For sure he's gone now, right? <laughs> Obviously not, and Dumbledore is aware of that right away, as he knows of Voldemort's Horcruxes at this point, but certainly for everyone else, it's a time to rejoice. Especially with the Triwizard Tournament on the horizon, what fun! Dumbledore still hires Moody because he knows Voldemort will come back someday and wants Harry to be prepared. The big difference is that this time it actually is Moody because nobody's actively trying to kill Harry. Probably. Voldemort thought the job would be done at the Quidditch World Cup, so nothing was considered for the Triwizard Tournament in advance, meaning one huge change for Harry this year is that nobody puts his name in the Goblet of Fire, so 
he's not in the tournament. Instead, and get this, he's just like the most coolest, most famous boy ever that just defeated Voldemort with a super macho lightning scar on his chest. By the way, if you have no idea why we keep using the term macho, it's from this one line from Ginny when Ramil Devane asked if he had a hippogriff tattoo. I told her it's a Hungarian horntail, said Ginny, turning a page of the newspaper idly, much more macho. And for some reason, macho has just always stood out to me as like the single most out of place word in the entire saga. Macho. Oh yeah! Or, you know what? Hamburger shows up like seven times in the first seven chapters. Anyway though, full of such machismo, Harry is very popular and attracts the attention of none other than Flor Delacour, which hilariously also means Ron is likely agitated with Harry again, but let's be real, he's also super impressed. You know, I like it when they walk. And he's even more impressed when the Bobaton champion asks Harry to the Yule Ball, like what? Harry being asked by one of the other champions makes Hermione a little bit more open about being asked by Crumb, and so it's not such a big shock on the night of for Ron who goes with, you guessed it, Parvati Patil. Seamus asks Lavender, you guys, duh. And with Parvati available and in Gryffindor and his two best friends having dates that actively want to dance and have fun, all three of them actually have a blast. Wow, what a neat change up. It does always bump me out a little bit that they don't have more fun at the Yule Ball. I mean, the Weird Sisters are there. The Weird Sisters! Little do they know that the Durmstrang headmaster, Karkaroff, is a Death Eater, and it turns out Harry being Fleur's date to the ball is just the information he's been waiting for. But guys, we need to take a brief pause right there to let you know that today's video is sponsored by BetterHelp. For one quick second, let's just take that new year, new me sentiment and flip it on its head. Don't think about what you need to change. How are you already crushing it? This is something that I struggle with all the time. I'll sometimes forget to go and look back and pay attention to just how far I've actually come. It's like you've grown stronger as a person, but the insecurities are so deeply rooted that you haven't been able to totally let them go. And therapy can help with this. It's not about finding brand new strengths out of thin air. It's about recognizing the strengths that are already inside of you. And I can tell you, I personally spend a lot of my own sessions trying to circle this exact concept. Sometimes my person will pause me and say, wait, you did that? That's incredible. And I'm all like, really? That's news to me. But it's just so weird because when you live inside of your own existence, you frequently fail to realize just how awesome you truly are. Because therapy doesn't always need to change you, just your own perspective of you. And if you're thinking of starting, give BetterHelp a try so that you can celebrate the progress that you have already made. Do so by visiting betterhelp.com super today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash super. Link is in the description down below. As you might expect, Voldemort is trying once more to return to his physical form, but unlike last time, he has a much more ready and capable group of Death Eaters he can rely on to assist him. Like, Bellatrix isn't in Azkaban this time. This is a huge asset to Voldemort because if you'll recall, there is a certain object Voldemort usually goes for first to get his body back, the Philosopher's Stone. And Bellatrix can pretty easily get into the high security section at Gringotts because of her own vault, at Gringotts. But the issue is timing. Once and if this stone is stolen, the jig will be up and Dumbledore will be onto him at once. 
Plus, Voldemort needs a way to get around the sacrificial protection, a problem he usually solves by taking Harry's blood, and that is his exact plan this time. And that is why Karkaroff's information is so valuable, because for the second task, Harry will be the thing Floor misses most and who she will be attempting to rescue from the lake. And thanks to Karkaroff, Voldemort will learn this information. Like, how convenient, right? The person he needs to kidnap will be fake kidnapped by the Mer people, meaning he needs to steal Harry from them. An overall much easier task considering he'll be unconscious as long as the Death Eaters can figure out how to breathe underwater, which is an apparently like almost unresearchable task. Seriously, why is this one so ridiculously hard to figure out? Like muggles know how to breathe underwater. Like Gillyweed has got to be a much more like prominent thing. No, but I'm sure the Death Eaters can do it no problem. The trick is getting the timing right so that they can steal the stone and kidnap Harry inside of the same window. This is of course so that Voldemort can produce the elixir of life, mix it with Harry's blood and come back capable of attacking him. And with Karkaroff's information, this ends up working out well for Voldemort. They know exactly when Harry is in the lake and Bellatrix is able to steal a stone successfully. It's never actually explained how Voldemort knows where the stone is in Philosopher's Stone, but he does. So I think we can assume he still does and Quirrell almost got it the first time and he's terrible compared to Bellatrix, who's much more capable, has a way in and is much darker. So yeah, I think she gets it pretty easy. The other tricky part though, is that without the port key in the maze, Harry is pretty much stuck at Hogwarts. So once he's out of the lake, they have to do everything in the Forbidden Forest, which they also have snuck into likely with Karkaroff's help. I'm not gonna lie to you guys, the hardest part about writing this particular concept altogether is just that I have to give Karkaroff like more credit than I really want to. Either way though, here's what I imagine happens. Hermione and Harry, and I guess Cho, are collected the day before the second task, just like Ron and Hermione usually are. They are taken to Professor McGonagall's office where she explains everything. They're to be placed under an enchanted sleep and to be collected from the bottom of the Black Lake by their champion. They are assured it's completely safe and at no point will their lives be in danger. Harry and Hermione exchange a nervous glance with each other and close their eyes to be placed into the sleep. Harry wistfully thinks to himself that at least the next time he opens his eyes, he'll be linking up at Fleur Delacour and all goes black. What feels like only a moment later, Harry reawakens as he's forcibly dragged from the edge of the Black Lake, frozen and clothes stuck to him. He looks up at the masked faces of two Death Eaters, also dripping wet as they move clumsily towards the Forbidden Forest. Harry struggles for his wand, but in the mingled state of shock and through the grip of the Death Eaters, he's unable to reach it. Meanwhile, far off in the distance, a cannon marking the start of the second task fires. Then after what feels like forever in Bramble Scratch from the forest floor, the trio finally emerge upon a clearing filled with hooded figures, an ominous and wretched dark cloud and positioned directly in the center on an old tree stump glows a bright red stone. Harry is forced against the tree and ropes fly from another hooded figure's wand, binding him tightly. The tree, by the way, probably looks remarkably similar to like a grim reaper, even though it's supposed to be a headstone for like a mogul man. Silence fills the space until a terrible voice carries through the clearing. Harry Potter has come to die. The dark cloud seemed to have spoken and as it did so, it was condensing into an almost solid wall of black vapor. Harry had been freezing, but all at once felt like his body was on fire as the scars on his chest seared with pain. Harry looked up to see that the cloud had formed the rough silhouette of a man and was standing just feet away from him. Then suddenly one of the figures around him produced a knife and slashed open Harry's hand, which was then forced onto the glowing stone. It was now dripping in his blood. 
The cloud positioned itself over the stone and all at once seemed to condense around it. Lightning seemed to crackle from every direction and suddenly a bright red light burst causing Harry to shield his eyes. Then to his horror, the cloud seemed to take on a solid form. It slowly shifted back into the shape of a man and it looked more like a scarecrow on fire with smoke billowing away at an alarming rate until it had all burned off and all that was left was a man, Lord Voldemort. Confused, Harry, I'm not surprised, but you see, Lord Voldemort cannot die, and just months ago I was forced to consider that you shared this quality of mine when my spell backfired at the Quidditch World Cup. Disgusted by what he was witnessing, Harry fought against the restraints to no avail. I thought that I had you. It must have been some mistake. You were unarmed, but my spell recoiled against me, ripped me from my body. Pain you cannot imagine. But as always, I am surrounded by my faithful Death Eaters, witnesses to my temporary defeat. I explained to them my vital mistake, a piece of ancient magic, protection placed upon you by your dying mother, her sacrifice. He spat the last word. Meanwhile, back in the lake, Floor has reached the bottom first after absolutely just wrecking some Grindy Loves on the way down. Harry had taught her all about them from what he learned from Lupin back in year three. But she realizes something was horribly wrong. Cho and Hermione are still there, but Harry is missing and several dead people lay on the bottom of the lake floor. Horrified, she races to the surface and alerts the judges. In the woods, Voldemort finishes monologuing. But no matter what, I can touch you now. He presses his finger into Harry's chest, which threatens to explode with pain. And now, Harry Potter, we duel. Let there be no doubt to anyone who the stronger wizard is this time. Harry's restraints are released and he stands reaching for his wand, which is mercifully still in his pocket. And you could probably guess what happens next. Priori Incantatum, the twin cores meet. The difference is that they are in the forest rather than the graveyard and Dumbledore and friends are on their way. Able to quickly spot them with Moody's eye, all that separates them is distance, which they are closing in on fast. Meanwhile, Harry successfully forces the golden bead back into Voldemort's wand, an ear-splitting scream erupts from it. That's Voldemort's own spell backfiring at the Quidditch World Cup, followed by the emergence of James and Lily Potter. Help is on the way, Harry. We can buy you some time. Run for the castle. The connection breaks and the surrounding Death Eaters are too stunned to move as Harry sprints towards the castle, but doesn't have to go far before he sees help running towards him. The Death Eaters and Voldemort spot Dumbledore in the distance and flee in every direction into the forest. Harry collapses into Dumbledore's arms and all he can say is, he's back. He's back. End of part two. Oh wait, actually also Floor gets 50 points for outstanding moral fiber. Now end of part two. Guys, as ever, please be sure to tune in next week to part three of what if James had simply kept the invisibility cloak. In the meantime, and for my question of the day, what would be your ship name for Harry and Floor together? We personally here at Super Carlin Brothers are in love with Flower Pot. Let me know your thoughts in the title section down below. I suppose Flary has a certain will flare to it. Guys, as always, be sure to like this video and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. If you'd like some more what if action in the meantime, we have an entire saga about what if Harry had been sorted into Slytherin, which you can check out right over here. But otherwise, until next time, bye.